What's going on, Renaissance family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. So grateful that you have tuned in with us for our online service. Before we get into today's message, I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, you describe yourself as a, as a good father that wants to give good gifts to his children. And God, right now, I pray that we, we would receive your good gifts to us. The words that you want to speak to us, I pray that they would encourage us and challenge us and equip us for life with you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So I can think of a few times in my life that I was on a mission that no matter what, nothing would get in my way until I got what I was going after. One of these times happened about 14 years ago. And uh, every time of year, around this time of year, there's something that's going on in New York that a lot of people don't know about. But right now, thousands and thousands of people are doing something that is all consuming. They are on a mission. They're getting ready to take the New York bar exam to become an attorney. I remember right after my law school graduation in 2006, my graduation was pretty bittersweet because I knew that as soon as the ink was dry on my degree, I was gonna have to start studying for my exam. Now I was lucky, I had a few things that really worked for me. One, I was young and I'm not that old now, even though I don't have hair, but uh, when I was 24, I had all of the energy in the world. I didn't even drink coffee, but I just seemed to be able to go on and on without uh, any, any coffee or anything else. But two, I was also very fortunate to, to live at home and not have any responsibilities. My parents would go grocery shopping. I didn't have any bills or anything like that. So I could put all of my attention on studying. And that is what I did. I shut out friends. I shut out people. I didn't go to events. And from about seven o'clock in the morning till about 10 o'clock at night, I would just be studying. I would study so much that I would go to bed and dream about contractual obligations and different things that I had been reading that day. And I turned away so many different things, all in pursuit of what I was going after. I remember what it felt like to sit on the Javits stairs, getting ready to take the bar exam and being so nervous and feeling even after having done all of that work that I still needed a couple of more months. Even after going all in, I still felt like I wasn't ready. Now, to get to that point, I had to work really, really hard, but by the grace of God, I passed the test. Now, I've never spoken to any attorney that has ever said, well, you know, I just kind of studied every now and then and I showed up and just took the test. Everybody in pursuing uh, to become an attorney, you have to go at it with an intensity and a passion that's almost just like being on a mission. You have to push everything out, but in everything you lost doesn't compare to what you gained on the end. Uh, other times in my life, I remember being on a mission, not necessarily for a goal, but for a person. Uh, when I first met my wife, Jessica, she was living in DC. And uh, the second I met her after the first weekend that we hung out, I knew it was a wrap. And I immediately was thrilled to put all of my eggs in one basket and go after her full steam ahead. And I, I don't wanna brag uh, about this, but I was on the Bolt bus so much that I was a platinum member on the Bolt bus. I got to board in the triple A class before anybody else did. Uh, but those $20 round trips to DC paid off. Uh, it ended up having my wife eventually uh, agree to, to marrying me and moving up to New York. But I remember talking to friends about me going back and forth to DC. And sometimes 
there were the trip would take me longer to get to DC back and forth on bus than I would actually even have time to spend with her uh, on the ground in DC. So sometimes I'd be on the bus for eight hours just to hang out with her for three or four hours. Now, I don't know what I was thinking. Or I do know what I was thinking at the time, but I was on a mission. And what I got in return was nothing compared to what I was giving up. Now, why does this matter? There's been times in my life where I was on a mission to get something. And when I got it, I realized that all of the pursuit, all of the things that I had given up to get it was nothing in comparison to what I was actually getting. Now, we're in a, a portion of scripture today that talks about a man being on a mission and everything that he's willing to give up is nothing in comparison to what he is getting. It comes from a man named Paul, and we've been in this book of Philippians, and Paul is a really interesting guy, and this is a really beautiful letter that Paul is writing to, to Christians. And this is a letter that is written to people who are going to church. So in the same way that you are uh, sitting at home or sitting somewhere with friends, watching our service, people would have been reading Paul's words, and it's really exciting sometimes to think about that these letters were written to people just like me and you. So this comes to us in Philippians 3, and Paul is talking about his pursuit, his passion, his mission, and he says it to hopefully inspire us to have that same passion, that same burning desire to be on a, on a mission to know, to know God. And here's what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, my goal is to know Jesus, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of suffering of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that somehow I will reach the resurrection from among the dead. And here's what he says. That's so powerful. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal to this also, also to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, here's what Paul is saying in this, in this scripture. Paul is saying that I have a goal. I have an ambition that um, in earlier in the chapter, Paul talks about all of the things that he was losing. And he says, none of these things were worth or even being worth compared to the surpassing value and worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And Paul is saying, I haven't reached it. I'm nowhere near perfect, but here's my mission. And here's what your mission should be, should you choose to accept it. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. There's a lot of things that can complicate everything going on in your world. But let me, simpli let me simplify it for us right now. This is the goal. This is the purpose. This is the thing that God intends for us. This is the only thing that matters, that you and I are on a mission to know Jesus. Now, when scripture talks about this concept of what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, what it means to know him, it talks about it in such a way that's like, Man, what you can find in Jesus is, is like a treasure. Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And unlike many things in my life that 
I mentioned, uh, whether it's relationships or degrees, um, even though the student loans might last for a long time, they are here one day and gone eventually. Every degree will eventually one day become worthless and every relationship will end. But what God offers us is something for eternity. Now, this treasure of what it means to know Christ, uh, Jesus talks about this also in Matthew 13, and he tells a parable, and uh, Jesus tells this parable so that we can know what is available to us. And here's what he says in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, what Jesus is telling us here about the kingdom of heaven, which is right in front of us, what Paul is talking about in terms of to know Jesus, that this is a treasure, that if you found this, yes, you're going to have to give some things up, but what is coming in return is so much more valuable than anything that you would have to give up. And Paul is trying to encourage us to go after Jesus in a way and seeing him as something that would be a treasure, not an obligation. Now, what Jesus is talking about in his parable of Matthew 13 is that the kingdom of God is so valuable. Listen to this. The kingdom of God is so valuable. A relationship with God is so valuable that losing everything on earth, losing all of your possessions, selling everything to get this one field is worth it. Now, as we are looking at the scripture in uh, Philippians and we're, we're looking at Paul talking about wanting to know Jesus and earlier in chapter three, where Paul talks about all things are worthless compared to knowing Christ, um, I, I really want us to see this as something that is not just an obligation, right? I'm a pastor and I'm telling you, you have to read your Bible or do something, but an opportunity that is in front of us, an opportunity that is in front of us. Now, it sounds good to say that Jesus is a treasure. And a lot of times when we talk about these different things, and when I was reading the scripture and getting ready for it, I had to be honest with myself. Uh, there's a lot of times I find myself going through the motions that I don't necessarily personally find Jesus to be this amazing thing that I don't wake up every single morning just saying, I just want to know Jesus. Now, I think a couple of things that get in my way might also resonate with you and, um, one of the first reasons is I think I just rely too much on something exciting to motivate me, right? So I, I think I just rely on something really exciting to motivate me to want to want to go after Jesus. But I hate those days when I just wake up and feel kind of bored, like I don't feel like going after it or doing anything. Now, imagine that you have a friend and um, uh, one day you get amazing tickets to a Broadway show or um, uh, a sporting event. Imagine the Rona is over, the streets are full, everybody is safe, it's, it's vibes for days outside. And you have these amazing tickets and you meet someone a new, a new friend, and you say, hey, I have these tickets tonight to this amazing show or to this you know, front row seat to see Serena in, in the US Open. If you go out and you have a phenomenal time and the friend hits you the next day like, yo, last night was so great, can't wait to hang out again. And you say, great, next week, let's go out and grab a bite. And they're like, actually, do you have any more tickets to, to Broadway? Because I really just actually just wanted to do something really exciting. Or, you know, I'd love to go see Serena again in the finals this time. Like how whack would you feel if your relationship with them was so transactional 
that you had to give them something so exciting just to spend time with them. Now, on a fundamental level, all of us know how cheap and flimsy and whack that friendship or relationship would be if it had to always be exciting. And I think for myself, what I'm doing that I don't even notice is I think I just want God to give me a lot of stuff. I think that I just want God to give me these really warm and fuzzy feelings. I think I just want to have explosive interactions where I read the Bible and it just blows me away. And on the days that that doesn't happen, I kind of feel like, eh, what is happening beneath the surface in a lot of ways is I have to ask myself this question and I want to ask you this also. Do we want God or do we want what God can give us? Because if we want what God can give us, then when God doesn't give us those things, that our relationship with God won't be exciting or interesting or something that we want to do at all. But here's what Paul is whittling down. He's saying, I want to know Jesus. That's it. I don't necessarily need to know what he can give me. I just want him because he himself is the treasure. To know him, to be in relationship with him is the treasure. So the first reason I think I just rely too much on something exciting to motivate me. I want to have this amazing devotional time in the morning. I want to you know, listen to the worship song and be crying two minutes into it. And that's just a terrible motivation, right? So now I'm a big fan and I do have moments where I feel overwhelmed by what God does for me when reading something or participation in worship. There have been moments that have really been powerful moments in my life. And I think God does want to meet us in those things but that could never be the basis of our relationship with God. Now, in the boring moments, we find out who we truly are and what we truly want. And Paul is clarifying that for us right now, saying, I just want to know Jesus. And we can't uh, rely on our emotions or excitement to, to carry us. But there's another reason that I struggle with inconsistency in my pursuit, and it's I just get distracted. Have you ever had a, a period in life where you're like, this is it? This is it. Like, I'm about to go hard. Like, I'm on a mission. And for like two days, 48 hours, you are like, you're doing amazing. But then after those 48 hours, after two, three days, it kind of just starts to, to fade off. There's an old hymn called Come Thou Font. And I love the lyrics in this song. And there's a line in that song that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That it's not surprising uh, that I wander away because I'm prone to it. I'm prone to wander away from God. Now, I shouldn't be surprised by this, and neither should you if that resonates with you also, because Jesus calls us sheep, right? And sheep need a shepherd because sheep are prone to wander. Sheep are prone to, to leave the protection, the guidance, the care of their shepherd. One of the things that Jessica mentioned in her sermon a couple of weeks ago was a lot of times when we hear that Jesus is our shepherd, we get really excited and think about all of the wonderful care and love that Jesus has for us. But we don't realize that what he's really saying in that is, yes, I'm your shepherd, but you also are my sheep, that you're kind of a dumb animal, that you're defenseless, that without me, you'll just wander away. I'm not alone in this, uh, and you're not alone in this. If you feel like you just sometimes start out with the best of intentions, the best motivations, and you just can't carry it out. The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote this letter of Philippians that we're reading right now, he says something very similar about his own life 
And reading these words make me feel so much better about myself because here's what Paul says, right? So this is a dude that would end up dying for Jesus in faith. He's written books of the Bible. And here's what he says about his own relationship with Jesus. He says, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Here's what Paul is saying. There's things that I want to do, like for real, I want to do them and I don't do them. I just get distracted. So if we are people who kind of put too much energy in getting something exciting, or if we're people that are so prone to wander, what hope do we really have that you can say with all integrity, I want to know Jesus, that at the end of your walk with life, they would characterize you and they would say that you were a person who lived in pursuit of God, not what God can give to you, but God himself. Now, there's a number of things in this in this. A passage of Philippians that I want to talk about that I think would help us to cultivate that and to craft that in our life. And the first thing that I think we need, and we need this so desperately, is we need a really, a holy dissatisfaction. Now, a lot of times when we are noticing where we are and we are dissatisfied with that, that is our actual first step towards God. That is God himself that is putting that dissatisfaction inside of us. And here's what Paul says in verse 12. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul here notices the gap in between where he is and where he wants to be. Let's say that again. Paul here is saying he's noticing the gap between where he is and where he wants to be. And that is, that's a good thing. When you start to notice this gap between where you are and where you want to be, that might just be God coming to you and showing you in um, the areas for growth, and that it's God himself. Earlier in Philippians, Paul says in Philippians 2 that it is God himself that works in you to both to will and to do his good pleasure, meaning that it is God inside of you giving you the will and the desire to do better. It's God that creates a dissatisfaction in us. Uh, Philip Yancey is an amazing author, and he has just an incredible way with words, and here's how he describes it. He says, when I get depressed by a lack of spiritual progress, I realize that my very dismay is a sign of progress. I have the sense of slipping further from God, mainly because I have a clearer idea of what good God desires and how far I, uh, how short I fall. Now, this is what the Bible calls conviction. Now, in John, Jesus promises something called the Holy Spirit, that it, it is God that is going to be with us. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, Jesus says, is the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. In John 16 and 8, it says, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, the word for convict now or convict now means something different than what it meant then now it means to pass a sentence or to uh, hold someone in judgment for some crime that they allegedly committed. But conviction then, and the word, the way that Jesus used the word was to expose. So when Jesus talks about what the Holy Spirit does is a Holy Spirit who is God with us, he's saying that God shines a light in our life on the areas uh, that are wrong, that are, are straying away from his will, and he does it to, to shine a light on it. So paradoxically, this feeling of conviction that we have is actually a sign of a relationship with God. 
Michelle Higgins is another theologian, and she says it like this. She says, your longing for the presence already near you is, it, is itself an experience of him. So your longing, you longing for God is already an experience with him. So number one, we need a holy dissatisfaction. We need God to show us the areas in our lives that we're missing it. Uh, and number two, we need assurance. Now, assurance is confidence. And Paul says something in this passage that uh, after we get our holy dissatisfaction and we realize, right, just like Paul said, not that I have already obtained these things, not that I'm already made perfect, we need to not just feel bad about ourselves. And Paul gives us this encouragement in verse 12 uh, so that we don't get too, uh, so that we don't beat ourselves up or get down on ourselves or think that it is too much up to us or get discouraged. And here's what Paul says in verse 12. But I make every effort to take hold of it. Here's what he says. Because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, I've read the scripture a hundred times, probably. And the first time that this verse hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And here's what Paul's reasoning is. He's saying, I press forward. And here's his reason. Because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to make every effort because Jesus Christ has grabbed me by the neck and he has me by the collarbone. He's not going to let me go. You and I, if we have placed our faith in Christ, the good news of the gospel is not that you have a hold on Jesus, but that Jesus has a hold on you. We are all trapped in the grip of grace. There's a portion of scripture in John where Jesus says, those that the father have given me, nobody can pluck them out of my hand. I have not lost one. Now, my boy, Kenny, who is a pastor at uh, the Gathering uh, uh, Church in Harlem, my little brother in the ministry, Kenny is the king of the one-liners, and he has always amazing quotes. So I'll just quote him here. And here's what he says about that. He says, uh, the Bible says that we are in Christ 10 times more than it says Christ is in us, meaning that he's got you more than you've got him. That's the good news of the gospel, that he's got you, not that you got him. I remember a couple of years ago uh, going to the beach with my kids and my, my oldest son, it was, he was a couple of years younger than he is now, and he was terrified to go in the water. And we would be walking down towards the water and it didn't matter if we were in one, feet, uh, one foot of water, he would just be terrified. And I'm like, bro, we're in water up to my ankles and you weigh like 20 pounds. Trust me, I got you. Like, even if his grip on me wasn't good, he was good because I wasn't going to let him drift away in one feet of water. And this is what Paul is telling us in the scripture. The reason we can have confidence and assurance is not because you have a grip on Jesus, but that Jesus has a grip on you and his grip is strong. In Psalm 63 and eight, here's what it says. Uh, David is saying, I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. Now, in scripture, whenever you see the reference to God's right hand, it's referring to strength and capability. Now, let me put this in the strongest terms that I know how to, how to put it. In scripture, it's telling us that God is holding us with his strong and capable hand, and you and I can have confidence, not because of us, but because of God and his grip on us. One of the ways I know how to explain this is, is this, right? So if you could put the distance between the sun and the earth which is 93 million miles, right? So if just for scale purposes, let's just say that the distance between here and the sun, 93 million miles is, is this, this one piece of paper. The distance to the next star would be 
70 feet high of paper. The distance of just the Milky Way would be 310 miles long of paper. So imagine how huge and expansive the universe is. Scripture tells us in Hebrews that Jesus Christ holds it all together by his word. So you mean to tell me that Jesus Christ can hold the entire universe together by his word, but he can't hold you down because you have some faltering ways. Come on, y'all, what are we saying? What are we believing about God? Hebrews 1 and 3 tells us that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And whether or not you get distracted or have the wrong motivations, his grip is strong. And Paul tells us that we can reach forward with confidence and assurance because he has a grip on us. Now, the third reason um, that we need to continue to uh, pursue God, and one of the things that I think Paul wants us to have in our arsenal as we understand what it means to pursue God is we need to forget what is behind and reach forward to what is ahead. Here's what Paul says in verse 13 of chapter, chapter three. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is uh, behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Now, I've been thinking about this. There are very few things that will rob you of your future than worrying about the past for a number of reasons. One, it's done. And if you have placed your faith in Christ, then it has been nailed to the cross and it's already forgiven. So it really doesn't make any sense to look forward. I mean, to look back in the past at all of our shortcomings and all of the ways we didn't measure up. All it does is rob us from truly reaching ahead and going forward. There's a story about the 1989 Tour de France and uh, a bike race for those of you who don't watch the Tour de France. Uh, and one of the, uh, the riders named Greg LeMond. Greg LeMond was in second place as they entered into the final stages of the time trials. And uh, he went into the final race losing by about a minute. So Greg LeMond took out his earpiece, told his, uh, his training staff that he didn't want anybody talking to him. He didn't want anybody telling him what had happened in the past or anything. He was just going to run and race and, and, and pedal as fast as he could for the entire race. Now, after Greg LeMond uh, committed to do that, he actually ended up with the fastest time ever uh, up to that point in the Tour de France. And he ended up making up almost a minute difference and winning by about eight seconds. Now, I think that's what Paul is talking about here in this passage of scripture. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about what's happened. Just go in, go hard, move forward, reach for the goal that God has for us in our lives. Reach what's ahead of you, not focusing on what is behind you. Our past is never going to put us in a place where dwelling on it, lamenting over it, is going to propel you towards the future. Now, to be very clear, we should not be dismissive of our past. There are lessons that we can learn from our past. And I don't think Paul is saying to not learn lessons. But there are so many things that we drag with us to our future that are not valuable for us. They don't actually help us reach our goal. And Paul is saying for us to forget about these things and move forward because God has something for us. So reach ahead um, for what God has for us. Now, the last thing that Paul says in the scripture that I wanna give us to encourage us about what it means to pursue God. So uh, we have this holy dissatisfaction uh, where we have this discontent inside of us that we see this gap between where we are and where we wanna be and that we have this assurance that God has a hold of us. And now we are, we're, we're committing to forget our past uh, and reach to what's ahead of us. And here's the last thing that I've missed this so many times in my life. It's 
you and I need to live up to what we have already attained. Now, here's what Paul says in verse 16. He says this very just expressly. He says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Uh, a couple of months ago, I started working out with a trainer and this guy uh, did a phenomenal job helping me get my nutrition stuff and my blood pressure down. And one of the things that I remember so much about when we first met is he wanted to know where I was. He, was, he wanted to know what I had already lived up to, what I had already achieved so that he can tailor a program for me that I could actually do. One of the biggest sources of discouragement are people who are trying to live up to things that they have never attained. I was reading through my journal of when I first became a Christian, and quite honestly, my goals when I first became a Christian were to go to church twice a month and to stop going to dice games. Like, that was my goal. Like, if I can stay away from the dice games and if I can stop cursing and if I can go to church twice a month, for me, that is growth. And I would spend five minutes a day reading my Bible. And that, for me, that was amazing. Um, coming from where I'd come from, that was incredible. Now, that wouldn't be my goal. But a lot of times people are really discouraged because they put things on them that they themselves should never have to carry. Uh, this past week, I've been reading through the book of Exodus uh, for personal reasons and also trying to prepare for a sermon series in the fall. And in one sitting, I'll read through the whole book of Exodus and I'll, I'll read through. I've read through the book of Exodus about four or five times already. And that should not be your goal this week to spend five hours a day reading the Bible and parsing through Hebrew in different tenses if you haven't attained that. One of the things that crushes us unnecessarily is trying to compare ourselves to other people and establishing what we should do based on what they are doing. You and I need to live up to what we have already attained. And one of the things that I want us to do is to think about what, are, what is the next available step of obedience that you can take this week so that God's words can, can soak inside of our hearts so that we can grow. Now, oftentimes in scripture, you'll hear scripture and God's words referred to as, as seed. And although there's a lot of stuff that we don't control, we can control the seeds that are coming into our hearts. And I want us to spend some time being intentional about allowing God's words to transform us, to go deep into our hearts, and hopefully they will bring forth fruit by God's grace. And one way that we want to do that is this Tuesday, we're doing something called a public reading of scripture, where if you were to read through the whole book of Philippians, it would take about 15 minutes. And we're going to bring together people on Zoom to read through Philippians. And you're going to go to brief breakout groups to talk about what stuck out to you from that. And it's coming up this Tuesday at two different times, once at noon and another time at 7.30 p.m. And please make sure that you're following us on our social channels and checking your emails to get the links for that. But that's what I want you to do. I want us bathing and meditating on this book of, in, in this book of Philippians to let these words hit our hearts because this is the way that God wants us to grow. I want this to be our pursuit. Now, the most important thing in all of this is that in all of our pursuits, God has something for you. God is not trying to take something from you. When I first became a Christian, a lot of the way that I understood a relationship with God was it was either be happy or follow Jesus. And I didn't want to go to hell. So I said, well, I guess I'll just follow Jesus as this almost like hell escape plan or hell avoidance plan. As the years have gone by, I've realized that it was never an option of happiness or Jesus, but rather true happiness in Jesus. There's an old adage about 
different approaches to farming and the way Americans do it versus the way people do it in the Australian outback. The way Americans do it is we build fences to keep cattle and horses in so that they cannot escape. But in the outback, it's too big and it's too expansive. So instead of building fences, what they do is they dig wells. They dig deep wells so that the horses and the cattle and all of the animals would always have a place to come back to. What God wants us to have are not fences to lock you into anything, but rather a deep well of God's redeeming, transforming grace in our lives that we would come back to over and over and over again. And this is what God wants to do in your life. He doesn't want to build a fence to lock you in. He wants to give us access to this well so that at the end of our days, we can say with integrity that my goal and my passion was to know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, we will find that treasure and that, that beauty of what that means. So this week, I want us to commit to that prayer, to that mission, to know him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your words of scripture that encourage us. And Lord, I pray that this week, uh, we wouldn't just beat ourselves up with discouragement, but we would look forward to the goal that you have for us. And that goal is to know you and to be found in you. So Lord, I pray that you would encourage us this week and allow us to uh, reach out to you and, and find you because you are not far from any one of us. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.